Um, before I begin, I, I don't know if it's just me, but I, I feel like the speaker's kind of weird right today, uh, so I apologize if it sounds kind of wonky. Uh, but secondly, um, we, have, we have Christmas cards for you guys, all right? You haven't seen the Covingtons in your pile yet, because like for like three or four times we've come, we have just completely forgotten to bring them. So here's your invitation to come tonight to get your Christmas cards from us, <laughs> okay, um, that, there you go, all right, I want to invite everyone to open their Bibles to the book of Luke, we're going to hop back into the book of Luke this week, uh, and in last week we were in chapter 1, this week we're in chapter 2, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, and today I want to give you some interesting facts about Las Vegas, Merry Christmas. Uh, Okay, with its millions of lights, it is considered one of the brightest spots on earth. Pretty cool. Okay, consumption of shellfish in Las Vegas is over 60,000 pounds per day. Three tons, right? More than the rest of the United States combined. I don't know how they pay for that. Shellfish is expensive. Uh, Las Vegas has more than 42 million visitors a year. Las Vegas is home to more than half of the world's 20th largest hotels. 20, 20th, 20 largest hotels. Yeah, more than half. So in all the world, top 20 largest hotels are in Las Vegas. And then revenue from gambling easily reaches $12 billion a year a lot of money so right even though las vegas has like so many tourists it's known as the land of the rich and famous isn't it it's known for its glitz and its glamours and and these days right i i've I've heard it said like back when the mob used to run it you could go get a cheap meal but these days you certainly don't go to las vegas to eat cheap (laughs) you don't eat there if you're poor pretty expensive these days but, but here's a really nut, another really, really interesting fact that I only recently discovered. Underneath all of the glitz and the glamour and the luxury lies a system of tunnels. Hundreds of miles in its, in its reach, crisscrossing, going every which way, underneath Las Vegas and under the Strip. And in this tunnel, are, th- these tunnels are, are home to a people called the Mole People. While people walk the streets above, enjoying fine food and good times, there live beneath their feet hundreds of homeless people who live in total darkness. Entire communities are formed around what kind of drug they happen to be addicted to. So you go down this one tunnel and you find the meth addicts, and you go down this other tunnel and you find the heroin addicts. They make uh, these makeshift shelters, right, with beds and furniture. They can scavenge out of the trash. Mole people. You can Google it. You can watch videos about it. It's really sad. They're forgotten. They are in darkness, bypassed. And it's incredible that the Son of God who was worshipped by angels and planets and stars, chose the same. 
He didn't choose pomp, but poverty. He didn't choose glamour, but the ghetto. He didn't choose to be famous, but to remain forgotten. To come cloaked in darkness and bypassed by the world. In other words, he came as as a king with no kingdom. Not above the ground, but like a mole person. And that's simply astonishing. I want to continue that theme from last week about how astonishing Christmas is, how astonishing the gospel is. And we see that in our passage in Luke today. So I'd like us to turn to our Bibles or turn to the screen and read Luke chapter 2 starting in verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with, his, with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she, she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. So Luke tells us, right, that Jesus' birth came under some special circumstances. It came under a census. It happened in Bethlehem, and it happened in a manger. And and I want to get to each of those uh, three circumstances, but I want to focus on one right now, and I want to focus on the census, because first, it shows us that he came with no authority. Jesus came with no authority. Luke tells us about this guy, this regular old Joe, uh, named Caesar Augustus, right? Uh, and he decrees that all the world should be registered. Now that, we can read that like it's some scientific fact, okay? It was hot that day, and just keep moving on, or, or pizza is good, okay? I, I said pizza is good, and my notes, I have pizza is delicious, okay? Scientific fact, we can move on with our lives, right? But I think Luke might want us to dwell a little deeper on what all of this might mean. Caesar Augustus wasn't just a king. And he, was, he wasn't like a president even. Like we refer to the um, uh, most powerful man in the world right now as the president of the United States, right? He's not even like that. He was literally like a, a god. Seen as a god. And, and I know... Many of our presidents probably want to be seen that way, but, you know, still, Caesar Augustus, right, seen as a god. There was a, a, an actual cult, it, and not, when I say cult, not just like this weird segment of like Romans who are like, let's worship the emperor, it's like this, the entire Roman Empire. There is this cult of, of emperor worship. And the new, and right, the news that Christians would one day worship only one god and his name is jesus and they're not going to worship the emperor right that ends up bringing them trouble social ostracization and persecution we will we see that later in the new testament in history in fact according to one inscription uh, about caesar's birthday it says the birthday of the god has marked the beginning of the good news through him for the world 
written about Caesar Augustus. But let's let think about that fact for a minute. The creator God of the universe in the Son became a baby and allowed himself to be ruled by a pagan God. Pretty astonishing, isn't it? And if being ruled over by, by one pagan emperor, Caesar wasn't enough, he subjects, subjected himself to all levels of human rule. We read about this guy named Quirinius as governor, and even down to Herod and Pilate. The, the Son of God then didn't just subject himself to human rule, but to all manner of evil, selfish, selfish and godless rule. But there's another layer to this as well that, that makes this even more astonishing. Luke tells us that Caesar Augustus decreed that all the world should be registered. And that's not him just trying to be like a good emperor, right? Make sure like all the families are registered and all this kind of stuff. Right? This is a power move. This happened in the Bible too. David, at the end of, of 2 Samuel, what does he do? He's so enamored with his own power that uh, at the end of 2 Samuel, he takes a census of Israel, right? He wants to count. He has to know how much power he has. And specifically, he wants to know about his military might. So he wants to know how much fighting men he has. And guess what? God went after David's pride and ended up judging the very nation that David was trying to pride himself on. But it's a power move. And, and I think Luke is trying to convey all of this by saying, right, like, Caesar is counting, what, the world. The world is at his fingertips. The world is under his control. Everybody else are, are pawns. Everybody else is pawns under his control. The world belongs to Caesar. And the Son of God became a baby. I mean, when you see Brooke or Emma Grace, one of our many babies, that's just, well, the Son of God became just like that. Absolutely powerless to resist or fight back. And that's what Luke wants to show us. He wants, as one commentator wrote, to associate the birth of Jesus with a famous Roman emperor suggesting that the real bearer of peace and salvation to the whole world is the one whose birth occurred in the town of David and was made known by angels of heaven. By relating Jesus' birth to a worldwide census, Luke hints at the worldwide significance of that birth. And because Jesus subjected himself to this kind of, of authority, it changes how we see power, right? Because Jesus gave up His authority. He gave up His power for a purpose. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus was registered so that He could become a ransom. And we see God's purpose in this, right? God's purpose at this time is not to overturn human authority. 
but to overturn the authority of darkness. Right? We don't see the kingdom of God coming and overturning nations and going to war against nations, but against the powers of darkness and Satan and hell. And one day he will overthrow all human authority. But his mission at this time is to turn, overturn the powers of hell and to save lost sinners from darkness. And, and Jesus is establishing his kingdom not through human power, not through human kingdoms, but through weakness and obscurity. Becoming a king with no kingdom. This leads us to our next point. He came with no realm. He came with no realm. In, in this next part of the passage, we learn that because of this census, Joseph had to go to Bethlehem. So uh, if you look in uh, verse 4, and Jesus, or Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth. Remember, Houston? Uh, he was in Houston, Missouri, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. We already talked about David, right? Which is fitting because now we are told that Joseph is a de- descendant of David. And this is itself is a little ironic because this kingly family doesn't look kingly at all, does it? In fact, they aren't even going to a kingly town. They're going to Bethlehem. And we need to go back in time a little bit, okay? Before the New Testament was written and before we had... Uh, Frank Sinatra singing O Little Town of Bethlehem. Okay, we need to go before that, which is a great song, by the way. Bethlehem, even though it was the birthplace of David, was still just a small country town. Right? Even though Mary was from Houston, she's just going to Ozark. Right? She's not going anywhere of, of significance. I love Ozark. They have Salvatories, by the way. Nothing wrong with Ozark. Nothing wrong with Bethlehem. It's just still a pretty insignificant place. By the world standards. Now, I don't know. All right, don't. A lot of stuff I try to say with a certain amount of authority, okay? But I I don't know if this is what Luke intends, but he calls Bethlehem the city of David. Now, I find that really, really interesting. Because nowhere else have I found a reference to Bethlehem being called the city of David. You know how many times Bethlehem is called the city of David in the Old Testament? Zero times. Do you know how many times Jerusalem is called the city of David? Forty-five. In fact, during Jesus' time, if you had said city of David, guess where your mind would go to? Jerusalem. Your, mind, your mind's not going to, to Bethlehem. All right, In Mississippi... I, I drive by this town every time I go. We, we, it's called Mount Olive. Population, 982. But it sits on a highway, and when you enter through the town, there's a sign that says, Home of Stephen Air McNair. You guys know who Steve McNair is? Maybe? He was an NFL quarterback who took the Titans to the Super Bowl. Same with the mole people. Go home and Google Steve McNair. Alright, but when you think of Steve McNair, you don't think of Mount Olive. You think of the Titans. You think of Nashville, Tennessee. That's where the action is. That's where he's famous for playing football. Your mind doesn't go to Mount Olive. 
Jerusalem is the city of David. That's the place where all the action is. The place where, where David is actually famous for ruling. Jerusalem is the seat from which the, the king reigns. And, and we're actually kind of prepared to, to, to see it this way because Gabriel told Mary back in chapter 1, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Jerusalem is where the throne is. Jerusalem is where all this is supposed to take place. But Jesus never got that throne. He never got that realm to rule. Instead, he goes to Bethlehem. No throne, no palace, no realm. Why? Because Jesus did not come to establish another earthly kingdom. He came to build an entirely new kingdom. And this kingdom would be invisible. We who are sitting in this room, if you're a Christian, yes, we are the kingdom, but it's still invisible. It's meant to be an unseen kingdom. A kingdom that would start out as small as a mustard seed. And this, this fact that Jesus did not come to build an earthly kingdom, it, it redefines our place. Right? Because we are part of a new kingdom. And because of that, we don't really fit in anywhere else at the end of the day. We're always going to be an invisible kingdom within earthly kingdoms throughout time and history and space. And because we have this new, unshakable kingdom, we're free to lose. We don't have to win all of our battles. We're free to give up. Give up our very lives. We can lose our earthly treasures because we know Jesus is building His kingdom. Not in the way that we always want Him to. Not in the way we think He should. But He is. Building His kingdom. Even if it means being a baby born in Bethlehem in obscurity and in darkness. That is how he builds his kingdom. And that's astonishing. Finally, he came with no people. We read in verse 6, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Essentially, Jesus came into the world homeless. This could have happened in so many different ways. Right? Jesus had a home back in Nazareth. He had a home. And God, in His sovereignty, could have made room for them in the inn. But God so decided that there would be no home for His beloved. And not only no home, but no reception. Just His mom and His dad and a few animals to welcome the Son of God into the world. 
Buddy the Elf had it better than Jesus. You guys ever seen the movie Elf? He's an orphan and he's welcomed by elves in the North Pole. Buddy got it better than Jesus. So, so not only does Jesus have no authority to reverse these events of the world, and not only does he have no realm, a place which to rule, he has nobody who cares. <laughs> nobody who celebrates. No parade. Nobody who Joseph can rush to out in the wedding room and say, it's a boy. Just a few strange and smelly shepherds a little while later. And some weird kid with a drum. Why? Why did Jesus come with no people? You guys might know where I'm going. He came to make a new people. He came to make a people out of shepherds and a people out of slaves. He came to make a people out of blind and deaf people out of barren women and the childless, out of the weak and the forgotten. He came to make a new people who are a people defined by brokenness, bypassed by the world, the ones who live in tunnels beneath streets. Jesus became like them because that's who He wants. And listen, there is only one true Christian nation, and it's the church. The church is the one true Christian nation. And, and the church might not have stature, right? It, it might not have fanfare, and it might not be celebrated, because, but that's okay, because that means the church is just like her Savior. We need to dive deeply into the people that God has made us to be. Christmas season is about our indestructible new identity. Our indestructible hope. Jesus is building His kingdom with presidents who might pass laws that we like and presidents who don't. Jesus is building His kingdom. We might come in the red every month. Jesus is building His kingdom. We might come in the black every month. Jesus is building His kingdom. We are always the people that God has made. And, and, and He makes a people out of every possible human distinction. Every tribe, nation, tongue, and language. Humans are very good at making divisions based on who people are. We have our national divisions. We have our political divisions and our club divisions and social divisions. And Jesus calls out from every sector to make a people of His own. There is not one of you who is out of bounds and welcomed in this new people. He can make a people out of nothing because he himself became nothing. Jesus doesn't need fanfare or a grand announcement because <laughs> he has shepherds <clears throat> and blind people and Deaf people and country people, poor people. <clears throat> I saw an article recently that uh, said that there's this new telescope. <coughs> oh, excuse me. 
and it could show us, potentially show us, what the universe uh, would have looked like as a baby. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but I know a good place where I could show them. Better yet, I could show them not just the universe, but the one who designed the universe as a baby. The one who designed the universe. Who imagined blue and white and yellow and red stars. And he knows them each by name. The one who is life itself. Who depends on nobody else for life or meaning. But but gives life and existence to everything. The one who possesses all strength and all knowledge. Who created Caesar Augustus and knit Caesar in his mother's womb became a baby. And that baby came not with authority, not with a realm, and not with a people. That baby became like a mole person. Hidden and bypassed and unknown by the rest of the world. And that baby came to one day go to a cross. Jesus didn't march to a throne. He marched to a cross. It was the will of God that that baby would grow and be crushed for our sins. There is no Christmas without the cross. The king of the universe stepped down into humanity and chose the cross To bring life to us. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, all glory and honor and power and authority belongs to you. And and yes, Lord, it's by your sovereignty that Caesar Augustus registered the world. And it's by your sovereignty that there was no end. It's all by your control. But, But still, you became a baby who was once in the womb of his mother, who couldn't change any of that. Helpless. Obscure. You came. You became a king with no kingdom to establish a kingdom like no other. A A kingdom that is still invisible to this world today. And, and you did not establish it by military might. You didn't establish it by asserting dominance. You established this kingdom by being put to death on a cross. <laughs> and, and we are a part of that kingdom simply by putting our faith in what you did 2,000 years ago. And that's astonishing. 
Christmas is truly astonishing because it reveals to us a God who defies our imagination and who is compassionate and gracious beyond our expectations, who is both highly exalted and humble, who is both infinite and personal. And Lord, we worship You this morning as the King and King and Lord of Lords who became a baby and grew into a boy and became a man and was put to death. And who now lives again. And You, are, you reign as the Son of God, but You are still a man. <laughs> you reign forever as Jesus. And, and we worship You, God. And we pray Lord, that our hope would be in You. That that Christmas, our hope and our faith would be rejuvenated in a dark world. A dark and broken and messed up world. But Lord, You came that we would find our wholeness and our purpose and our hope in You. And we just praise You and pray all these things in Your name. Amen.